Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. My name is Adam Jones. We just had a great interview with Andy Malinsky, who is a PhD in neuroscience and business and a lot of... Uh, it's done a lot of stuff in you, basically. <laughs> yeah, nice. But he, uh, authored the book Reach, which for a bit of context was the, the previous episode if you want to listen. But basically the book goes through why it's important to jump outside your comfort zone, what stops us from jumping outside our comfort zone, and uh, how we can then go about expanding our comfort yep. zone and getting outside. And-, and also the author of the book Global Dexterity. Mm. So we, yeah, we cover Reach a bit deeper and we touch on his book Global Dexterity and a lot of stuff to learn. Andy... If you could just start by telling us a little bit about your journey and and what you studied and and what you're a PhD in and things like that. I have a PhD in organizational behavior, which is sort of like the people side of business, I'd say. And so I went to a PhD program that it was kind of cool, actually. We got we I, I did all the coursework in psychology, and I also did coursework in business. And then we just then I just did one PhD dissertation. So I got the psychology side and the business side, nice. but then you just just write one dissertation. So, oh, fantastic! So, uh, so is that sort of working out the psychology and, and applying to business? That seems like a good good mixture of both for sure. Yeah, I was always, I've always been interested in the sort of people side of things, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, I've, I came to business late. It was more the always the psychology side that interested me, but now you know, I find business pretty interesting. So, hmm. you know, that, that came along a little later though. Yeah. So is that what brought you into the book or to prompted you to write the book Global Dexterity? Is that is that direct? Because we, we read Reach, but we haven't read Global Dexterity yet. So can you just tell us a little bit how you got into that? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I've always been interested in like um, cultures and foreign mm-hmm. cultures. Like I grew up, I grew up in, um, in Boston and, you know, I'm old enough so that when I grew up, there was no internet, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I came from an American family. My family was born and raised in the U.S. as well. I did not travel at all, really, you know, maybe a little bit in the United States, but never went abroad mm. uh, until after college. And so I really lived kind of like a, I guess, a monocultural upbringing. But I was always very curious about different cultures, different worlds, different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I went abroad in in college. I went to Spain, and it just blew my mind, like the experience of being in another country and speaking a different language and so on and so forth. And I just became super interested in it. And then I, after I graduated college, I went to France, and I worked for a French company and I was, again, I learned French. I was just, it just like opened up this whole new world for me. And I became fascinated. I was always interested in the psychology, sort of of interpersonal communication and uh, things like that. And and then when I sort of mixed it with the crossing culture side, I just got hooked. And when I came back to the US, I, I, I went into a PhD program and I studied um, psychology and business, as we said, but my, my dissertation, my PhD dissertation, was about switching and adapting your cultural behavior. Um, and the, I, the basic idea, and it sort of grew out of my own experience, was that it didn't seem enough just to focus on differences, cultural differences, mm-hmm. like you know, people in Australia are different from people in Vietnam in these ways, or people in the US are different from France in these ways. That was important to know. 
But what seemed to be much more important to know from from my experience and also, oh, I should mention, during my PhD, I also worked, uh, volunteered at a resettlement agency for immigrants in the United States. And I watched them trying to adapt their behavior. Mm. And people struggled. Pe- what people were struggling with was adapting and adjusting their behavior across cultures. It wasn't just sort of like an intellectual understanding of the differences. It was actually trying to put those differences into action and act outside of their cultural comfort zones. That was the challenge. And that's what I wrote my dissertation about. And that kind of grew into a whole line of research and speaking and so on. And then that became global dexterity. So that's where that came from. Yeah, it sounds like a much more... uh practical rather than just as you say having that intellectual understanding of the differences is uh is a very very small piece of the pie i'd guess compared to being able to actually uh adjust your behavior yeah because sometimes when you adjust your behavior like you know what you need to do but it doesn't feel good or Mm. you feel resentful or you're frustrated or it feels inauthentic a lot of the stuff i write about in reach in my new book sort of kind of emerged from the global dexterity book you Mm. know and in fact that, that's how Reach was born, really. When I wrote Global Dexterity, I got feedback from people, all sorts of people, like on LinkedIn and email and so on and so forth about, like, you know, this book's really cool, but it actually has – the ideas in here are much more applicable than just crossing, you know, national cultures. The idea of acting outside your comfort zone is something people struggle with all the time, and, and you know, in their own culture. And so that got me thinking, and do, and then I started a whole new line of research and thinking around just simply acting outside your comfort zone. And that's that's what the book reaches about. Yeah, yeah, cool. Because one of the biggest issues I thought, because uh, I had a similar experience doing exchange in Turkey, and it was hard being authentic and being yourself when you're in a, a different culture and there's no Australians around. And things like that. So how how do you do you be authentic in yourself when there's no when there's nothing familiar around you? Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, it, it's hard. Also, as a, were you studying abroad? Yeah, studying there for for five months, and it was uh yeah, just just Turkish all around. It was it was fantastic, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's hard. I, I had the I had the. It's hard to do when you're studying abroad. Actually, I, I find. Because, you know, I remember I, went, I was studying in Spain, and I really wanted to learn Spanish. I tried my best to focus on speaking only Spanish and hanging out with Spanish people, but it was hard to meet them. Hmm. You know, I, was, I actually stayed with a Spanish family, so I was in the family, but my Spanish wasn't good enough to really get in there, you know what I mean? And so um, I don't think I even immersed myself enough to feel inauthentic, you know what I mean? Like, I was, I was kind of... I kind of like would dip my toes into the Spanish culture a little bit, but ultimately I was back with a group of Americans, not just Americans, actually people from English speaking countries. Um, And so, you know, I think in terms of authenticity in a foreign culture, like I think, I think that the trick that I've found um, is to, uh, is to try to find a way to create a blend or a um, hybrid, or some some way of like you've probably been to a restaurant in us. Where are you guys located? Yeah, we're in Melbourne, Australia. Mel- so yeah, Mel, big cosmopolitan city. You probably have a lot of fusion restaurants, right? Mm, for sure. You know, like yeah, and so we do too. So like there's there's something about a fusion restaurant where you're fusing different cuisines together, and you know some some of those fusions work really well, right? You get you 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 incorporate both. 
the elements of both cultures in a way that works. You could also have really bad fusion. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like terrible and it's bad. I sort of feel it's a good metaphor for like finding authenticity with, with in a foreign culture. You know, is there a way that you can create a bit of a blend or a fusion so that, so that you're adapting and adjusting in some ways, but you're also staying true to yourself at the same time or in, at least incorporating elements of yourself? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, fi- I find that that's part of the trick. And, and of course, it's an art. It's, it's an art because you just like just like fusion cuisine is an art, right? If you're trying to create like mm-hmm. a Spanish Chinese restaurant, you're not just gonna you know mix up a bunch of like um, saffron and I don't know Chinese whatever you know <laughs> sweet uh, black bean sauce or something. <laughs> and just, sauce. Right, it's not, you know there is an art to it, right? Yeah. There's a, there's, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. there's certain proportions. There's certain mixing. There's certain you know, elements, and so I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, nice. I can sort of see how that, uh, it sort of sounds like that global dexterity was specific to, uh, across countries and across cultures, whereas reach uh, is a bit more broader in terms of getting outside your yeah. comfort zone. Yeah, yeah right. definitely. So obviously, yeah. we, we've got the we've got the books here, and we, uh, we sort of did our, our read-through and uh, sort of a 20-minute review of our favorite parts of the book. Um, can you just maybe give us a quick, uh, why don't people get outside their comfort zones? Uh, actually, sorry, can we start off, actually, uh, why should we get outside our comfort zones? <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, I, I think, like, if you go on the internet and you look at comfort zones and you'll see, like, all these memes, if you Google comfort zone, <laughs> you'll see, like, you know, like, uh, you know, life only begins outside your comfort zone yeah. and you got to get outside your comfort zone and, like, <laughs> jump off the bridge and all that, you know. <laughs> I think that's like, um, you know, I, I, I think that that um, that there is something to that, right? Like, like if you want to grow, if you want to develop, if you want to, um, if you want to confront challenges, and especially in transitions in your life, like when you're moving from high school to university, from mm. university to taking a job, at that job, like moving up and having more responsibility, becoming, you know, a manager or a leader or I don't know, getting, you know, dating someone, be, getting married, having kids. These are major life transitions, mm. right? Oftentimes, stepping outside your comfort zone is like required in order to make that transition. So, you know, to sort of achieve what you want to achieve in life and work, to be sort of achieve your potential and so on and grow, that's why you would step outside your comfort zone. But that said, you know, I, I wouldn't advocate that everyone steps out their, outside their comfort zone in every situation, in every moment, right? It's it's like unrealistic. You know, there's certain certain situations, certain times where you know it's actually probably good to stay right where you are. Yeah. But 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 that's that's essentially that's my view on it. Yeah, cool. So the book's like it, it covers a lot of um, very practical ways getting outside your comfort zone, like things like meetings and uh, presentations and things like that. Do you think there's much value in getting outside your comfort zone? Like some people just like lie down in the middle of a cafe and do those kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on the crazy comfort challenges? Do you think there's much value in them? It'd be good for YouTube, I think. That's like what my 12-year-old daughter watches. Like, you know, like crazy, crazy YouTube stunts. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I I didn't write about that. That's not what I was writing about. Um, but but 
maybe you know maybe maybe yeah. may I, I guess may, maybe if it if it if it's sort of important for you to like i don't know to to do something crazy to kind of really get out of your shell and then that enables you to do it in other situations as well maybe yeah. i mean you know it could be doing it part way getting outside your, your comfort zone part way like you you're covering the book which is probably the way a lot of a lot of people approach getting outside the comfort zone yeah well i think a lot of people avoid it yeah. i think mm. you know i think i think a lot of people avoid it they you know, they'll substitute another task and they'll rationalize to themselves, you know, I don't really need to do this or this might not be the right time or I'll get someone else to do it or this isn't so important to my career Mm. or whatever it be. But, you know, it's, it's pretty threatening, you know, to, to step outside your comfort zone when you're feeling, you know, I talk in the book about like when you're feeling maybe inauthentic, you're, you're feeling incompetent, you're not Mm. good at this and people might know that or, you're feeling like you're worried people won't like this version of you. You know, it, it, it's pretty threatening. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. You said that at all those sort of major inflection points, you know, going from uh, school to job or, you know, trying to go for a promotion, those uh, are cases where you have to get outside your comfort zone. So is, is it almost a case of doing it uh, on a smaller level uh, more regularly? Is that sort of training for those big situations so that you are able to take that leap and grab those opportunities when they come? I think so. I mean, I think that, uh, I, I think that, that it's, it's, it's like a muscle, you know, mm. you want to, you want to kind of exercise it in a way, I think, um, you know, the, the, the courage side of things. I, I also think that if you're aiming towards something particular, like let's say something outside your comfort zone is networking or mm-hmm. promoting yourself mm. or, public speaking or I don't know what, you know, delivering bad news, whatever it is, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't suggest like starting in the, the, the most difficult version of the situation. Like, like let's say public speaking. Cause I think a lot of people mm. are, are uncomfortable with public speaking. I would not suggest signing up for a Ted talk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> First thing you do, you know, I think you want to start small. In the book, I talk about something called uh, just right situations, sort of like, um, you know, if you have kids, in, at least in the U.S., I, you know, I don't know elsewhere, but in the U.S., I've got two kids, and they, they, they're, they, well, actually, one's outside of elementary school now, but one was in elementary school, is still in elementary school, and they're, the teachers are very concerned with getting a book for the kids to learn to read. They call it a just right book. So mm-hmm. a book that's like a little bit of a stretch for them, but not so much of a stretch that they'll lose confidence or interest, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of, I think, what you want to do. You want to find something that, that is a stretch for you wherever you are now. So you need to understand where you are, choose something that's a stretch, have that experience, learn from it, and then kind of keep on stretching. That, that I think, is the most sensible thing to do. Yeah, yeah nice. Um, we, we sort of gave a, a fair bit of detail about the, the challenges, as you sort of mentioned, the, the, um, say like the authenticity and the morality challenges, but um, the three C's we'd love to get into. So this is how, so we sort of talked about why we should, we've talked about why most people don't, um, and I guess the three C's are how people can. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So, so I did a lot of research for this book. You know, I spoke with managers, executives, doctors, lawyers, small business owners, um, and then all sorts of crazy examples. Of, I, I don't even know if I have in the book. I don't think so. But I talked to circus performers. I don't think they made it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I definitely talked to a goat farmer, and I featured her in the book. Uh, you know, teachers, rabbis, priests, all sorts of people. 
So like these were the things that I, the three C's are like, that's kind of what I boiled it down to in terms of what seemed to distinguish people who were successful from, from people who weren't. Mm -hmm. And so there were three things that I found. Like the first was conviction, which is sort of like the, um, the, the, um, the, the, sort of like a sense of why I should be doing this in the first place, that wind at your back, that justification for why it's worth me doing this thing. It's probably not going to feel so good, right? It's going to be uncomfortable. And you know, what's in it, what's in it for me in, in kind of a deep way. Why, mm. um, and so I, I tended to find, and I, and I still tend to find two different sources of, of, of conviction. I didn't write about it like this in the book, but I have to tell you, this is what I continue to find. I, I sort of separate them in terms of like a, a professional source of conviction, sort of like, you know, you know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always wanted to be a podcaster. I've always wanted to be a speaker. I've always wanted to own my own business. And, and yes, I'm uncomfortable at doing whatever it is, but uh, I'm going to do it. I have always wanted to be able to do this. That's my source of conviction. Another source of conviction, though, is personal. You know, like, and I, I see this myself in my own life all the time. Like, you know, I mentioned I've, I've got two kids, and I'm always trying to coax them outside their comfort zones, and it's hard for them in certain situations. And so then if I'm trying to do that with my kids, and then I myself am, like, afraid to go outside my comfort <laughs> zone, that's, that's pretty lame. You know, I, I want to, you know, I want to what kind of a, you know, what kind of a parent do you want to be? What kind of a role model do you want to be? To me, that's actually a really powerful source as a mm. parent, it's a yeah. really powerful source of conviction. So that, that when it, wherever it comes from, it's going to be different for anyone, mm. you know, depending on who you are and so on. But conviction, it's really key. The, the second thing is customization. And that was like probably the most surprising thing I found in this research. Mm. And it's really, I found it was really cool. It's the idea that there's no one size fits all version of any of these situations, right? You can oftentimes tweak, make minor adjustments in the situation you're facing to make it fit you just a little bit better. So there are var various things you can tweak. Sometimes it's your body language. Sometimes it's the words you use. Sometimes you can bring a prop, like a, a some form of a prop to a situation that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, it's the context. Sometimes you can manipulate the context a little bit or yep. the timing. There are various things you can do, and I had all sorts of examples in the book, and I could tell you some more too if you want, but like, mm. it's really cool how you can make these little minor adjustments that make it just a little bit easier for you. One, so that, that's, customiz that's customization. One of the examples I like from the book, um, you said Mark Twain, who wasn't a, uh, I think he yeah. wasn't too comfortable public speaking, so he, he had a few plants in the audience. If he looked their way, yeah. they'd start laughing or, or something, <laughs> yeah. he'd, set, he'd set them up. <laughs> so it's funny, actually, you know, I heard um, I got I get emails about the book all the time, and I got an email from someone the other day, and it was exactly like that. He said he so he's a banker, and earlier in his career, he said he was terrified of giving public speeches, and he used to so he was in Boston. He used to fly a friend from New York to Boston, which <laughs> is about just an hour. It's an hour flight. It's not long. An yeah. hour flight, and have that per, pay for that person to come and have him sit eighth row center in the audience, <laughs> like, this big smile. And like that, that was the thing. Yeah. Like he customized the setting to make it a little bit more. I mean, it's an ex, it's an extreme example, but it's like a real example. Yeah. So unreal. It's funny. I might um. Yeah. I might start to. I might start yeah. To bring me Yeah. I'll, another, I'll tell you another cool example I've heard recently, which is not in the book, but yeah. um, someone who is afraid of small talk. She's she's mm. awkward, sort of shy, but she wants to be able to meet people. Um, 
she she decided to bring a selfie stick to social get-togethers. Yeah. So like she bring a selfie stick and then all of a sudden instead of sitting on the couch by herself, she's got this thing, people come over to her and say what's that? And then she's like, "Oh, it's a selfie stick. Let me show you." And everyone thinks it's awesome. They yeah. all want to talk to her. She exchanges emails to send the photos. It's like it mm-hmm. totally changes her experience, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that I thought that was kind of a, a cool recent experience example. Yeah, cool. So you've covered uh, conviction, customization, and the third one was clarity, I think. Yeah, can you just tell us a little yeah, bit yeah. about Yeah, clarity. So so th- that's just the idea that, uh, you know, in, these are situations that are full of anxiety and worry and fear. And clarity is basically like the idea of kind of trying to normalize that fear. Oftentimes when we're afraid of something, we, we do what psychologists call catastrophizing. We like it, look at the worst possible case. You know, let's say it's public speaking. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like a total fool. I'm going to faint on stage and I'm going to make, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to do this again. Right. That, that's the fear. That's the anxiety talking. But if you can sort of develop more of a realistic view. Oh, by the way, there's also the other unrealistic option, which is I'm going to go up on stage and I'm going to be the best speaker ever. Like mm. I'm going to be TED Talk worthy and I've never spoken before. Like those are the two extremes. What clarity is, is finding that middle ground, you know, sort of coming to the realization in your mind that it's it's probably not going to be perfect and it's also probably not going to be a total flop. It's going to be, I don't know, somewhere in the middle and you'll learn and next time it'll be a little bit better and so on. But that, that sort of kind of middle ground, more realistic thinking did distinguish people, at least that I talked to, the ones who were successful Ultimately, in taking the leap, because that's the key thing, I'll just say, like, the point, the point of customization, clarity, and conviction is to kind of nudge you to take the leap, right? Yeah, that's the key, because once you take the leap, a lot of learning can occur. Yeah, you mentioned also in the book the importance of the growth mindset, understanding if you've got the belief that everything's learnable, how much easier it is to leap outside your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, I, <clears throat> I think that is really important. You know, if you have a... Now, I say it's important, but I also know that it's hard It's hard to do. You know, if, if mm-hmm. there's a difference between a, gro- a gro- uh, sort of a learning mindset and a performance mindset. So if you're making a mistake and you have more of a performance mindset, you'll start to think of yourself as a failure, let's say. You'll, you'll code, you'll make sense of that mistake as a indication of your inner failings versus a learning mindset means that you'll maybe see that mistake as data, right? It's yeah. data to improve yourself to learn. Um, of course, of course, obviously a learning mindset is more, you know, conducive for these types of situations, but you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. It's, it's, it's not so easy to say to someone who's got a performance mindset, they've lived their whole life like that to say, you have to have a learning mindset, you know, (laughs) it's hard. It's easier said than done, but I do think it's an asset. Mate, in the video, there's uh, heaps of books behind you. Do you have any books that you recommend to people uh, a lot books that I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I, I there's a book that I that I love um, called Difficult Conversations. Uh, it's it's by um, it comes out of the it comes so so there was there are a bunch of books written on negotiations a while back called Getting to Yes or Getting Past No and people might have heard of those. There was sort of a spin-off book called Difficult Conversations, which is one of the, my favorite books ever. 
it just it talks about the psychology behind difficult conversations. And I love that book. I've read it multiple times. It's helped me in my life. I use it for teaching, for training, and so on. And like if you look at it, if we were in my office, you'd see it. It looks almost like I took a bite out of it. It's it's so warm, you know. <laughs> I love I love that that that's one that comes to mind. It seems like one of the most important comfort challenges is to have those difficult conversations. Because yeah, that's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. that is one for sure. I've, I've read uh, I've read Getting to Yes. I haven't read Getting Past No yet, and I haven't read Difficult Conversations. So I have to add that one in. <laughs> Check out Difficult this. Conversations. It's a, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a really good read. Really interesting. And what's the uh, what's the next project? You've done two books so far. You've got another one in you. Well, I do probably, um, but but my actual my next project actually is that I'm working on uh, training based on reach. Nice. So I'm working on an on, an online training course. So I want to be able to like um, bring it to the next level to actually help people through the challenges that they face. So I'm like literally right in the middle of creating this, yeah. and it's going to go. Yeah, it's probably going to go live in the fall. So I'm super psyched about that. That that's that's really I want to bring these ideas alive so that they're not just in book form, but they're in sort of like teaching and training form. So that's that's what I'm that's currently what I'm working on. But I I I am sure there are more books in my future. <laughs> yeah, unreal. So uh, where can people find you? Yeah. So uh, my website is is the best best place, which is, uh, you know, it's www.andymolinsky.com, which is A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. So I, um, funny, uh, funny side note, people spell my name wrong so often that I had to buy the domain names of the <laughs> two spellings. <laughs> so, so if you spell it wrong, it'll probably bounce to the right place. <laughs> What a, everyone put an I on the end instead of a Y? Yeah, an I is one of them, an I is yeah. one of them. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, I've got tons of um, tons of resources there, uh, lots of articles, blogs, videos. Um, and I also I also have a newsletter, and uh, I'd encourage you to sign up for it. And you can we can connect, and I have my email there too. It's right there. So, you know, feel free to, to be in touch. Yeah. Fantastic! Thanks so much, Andy. Thanks for the time, and thanks for uh, for the book reach. And yeah, all the best with the with the new projects. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. We got a, an announcement. We got a, a special gift for all our listeners. What you can do if you head to whatyouwillearn.com/notes, uh, we're going to email you a link. Uh, that goes straight to our, our notebook, which is uh, the structure we use for all of our book reviews and all the episodes that we've done. Yep. So it's mine and Adam's, all our notes all compiled into one big folder. So this is what we... Everything that's been on every episode has come from these notes. So you mm. find a concise summary and you'll be able to go through our notes very quickly and mm. very efficiently get a lot of learnings. Mm. So if you like to yeah, read the, you know, the notes, the dot points, as well as either before or after you listen to an episode, yeah, head to whatyouwillearn.com slash notes. Check it out. 